you, but my feet are about to fall off. Every time I think we are getting somewhere, we end up back where we came from. Looks like there may be a fire in that room. Hopefully some chairs as well. Let's take a break. Oh, I'm sorry. We didn't know anyone else was in here. Don't worry about me, Jimmy. I knew it was only a matter of time until you stumbled across my prison. There's a plan in place for you and your friend. A plan? What plan? Who are you? (laughs) You think I know? I too am at the mercy of the house. I'm Alan Mortain. Yes, yes. I'll get to that, you little ingrate. Look, I'm not supposed to tell you anything, but I am sick of the cycle. This house feeds on us. I feel less and less every day. Have a seat. Malak was our greatest gift. Our house was in disarray, and this man turned up on our door on a rainy night, and the next thing we knew, our lives seemed to bless. Everything went well. Our businesses bloomed, our house ran like a well-oiled machine. An odd thing. We have met him a few times. We keep getting told not to trust him. Sound advice, I'm afraid. But he's actually saved our lives. Well, let me put it this way. After a while, we noticed some of the house staff going missing. Their clothes and personal effects were gone as well, so we assumed that they had left for greener pastures. But then, our own daughter went missing. Yes, we met her as well. She didn't seem to have a problem. (laughs) Well, she's dead, isn't she? Never aged a day beyond 16. Not to mention the rest of us. She doesn't know better, and Malik definitely fancied her. He's been feeding her lies for a hundred years. I suppose you're right. You won't stop me, you fiend. This one is a spy for the house. I see. Anyway, my wife, Belle, and I confronted Malik, and he took us to a part of the house we didn't even know about. He locked us in there and bricked up the only exit. To what end? I don't know if it's for a different master or if he just wanted the power for himself. But there is definitely more than meets the eye with him. Belle went mad before she died. The food stopped coming, you see. Starvation and isolation can destroy a mind. She wanders these halls in constant torment. I'm sorry this happened to you. We're trying to find the elevator. 
Have you seen it? We're trying to get home. You have plenty more important things to worry about, Jimmy. Be careful you don't get sucked in with it. Try and find the gargoyles. They may help. Or not. I wish you luck. Thank you, Alan. Anytime. Maybe you'll be the one to save us. We're just trying to get home. One can dream. Over here, friend. Looks like some decorative lights on this pedestal. Let's do it. Lady Castellis Lights. Written by Jean Nicole Rivers. Narrated by Jess Carrier. Her Christmas lights are up. I gasped, my eyes expanding like two full moons, reflecting the one in the sky. In a break from the evening movie marathon my husband Phil and I were running, I peeked through one of my side front door windows, seeking the forecasted snow. What? Phil called from the kitchen, where he was complying with my request for an oversized bowl of ice cream. It's not for me, it's for the baby. I quickly learned was the most powerful persuasion to move a first-time father to overfeed the soon-to-be mother of the child he wanted to emerge from the womb big and strong. All of her Christmas decorations. My voice trailed as I squinted, trying hard to focus my vision on all the tacky lights, the peeling cutouts of Santa and his discolored reindeer, and a worn crimson ribbon. It all was there. Who? Phil asked. It is the day after Thanksgiving. I thought that's what you all wanted. He added immediately. Lady Casterly, I answered. And not me, it was the HOA, I corrected him as I took the bowl of minty green mounds from his hand without ever shifting my eyes from the blinking eyesore that was Lady's front yard. According to our strict HOA, Christmas decorations were not to go up until the day after Thanksgiving, and everyone but Lady Casterly followed that rule. Because she had been a resident long before the administrative organizations, the management companies and HOA boards had allowed the infraction to go unmentioned, though several neighbors grumbled about it. Even I was guilty of making a sarcastic comment here or there. Phil looked over my shoulder, taking in the haphazard tableau. Well, the decorations may not be the best looking, but they were always neat and orderly before. Why is this such a mess? A dead woman's decorations are suddenly out on her vacant house, and your thoughts are on orderliness? I asked. Phil shrugged. Somebody finally moved in and they probably found those old decorations in the attic or something. Can we get back to our movie night, please? I have followed the commands of you and my unborn and I am ready to relax again. He said before rubbing my protruding belly gently, then heading back towards the living room. Shoveling a lump of mint chocolate chip into my mouth, I peered across the street once more before following Phil back towards the couch. But all of her stuff was moved out of the house. Like you said, it was vacant. Did you see anyone move in? I certainly didn't. And even if someone had slipped in, you think their priority is to throw up some leftover Christmas decor? Do you really care about this, Latanya? Phil huffed as he plopped into a spot on the sectional. I don't. Just, I just think it's weird, I said, hardly able to speak between bites of ice cream. 
Well, <laughs> at least it's the day after Thanksgiving like you bullies demanded. He laughed. My mouth dropped open in an O, almost spilling out the lump of melted ice cream. Not funny. I had nothing to do with that. It was the HOA and you know it. I know, I know. I'm joking. I gotta hit the bathroom. Be ready when I come back, woman. Phil joked before disappearing down the hall. My husband was kidding. I knew. But any mention of this fiasco still stabbed like a knife. Lady Casterly was the last original owner in the neighborhood and the first to greet Phil and I when we moved in five years ago. Lady was her first name, which I loved as it fit her perfectly. Everything about her seemed noble from her appearance to her demeanor. We weren't even fully moved in when I answered the door to find Lady's short frame standing tall on our doorstep with an apple pie in hand. The bronze-skinned elder smiled as I fumbled with the lock on the storm door before finally getting it open. Hello? Hello, child. I'm your neighbor, Lady Casterly. I live right diagonal to you at 2707. She pointed across the street. That crisp fall day, her voice poured over me like marshmallowy hot chocolate. Her bright but tired chestnut eyes beamed lovingly. Oh, you didn't have to do this, I said, taking the pie from her hands, which are delicate and soft like dough. I know, child. But my mother always said to never show up empty-handed to a neighbor's home. And I never do. A wise grin, nodding her mouth up at the sides. Her presence made me feel light and warm. Please come in. It's a bit of a mess, but... She was already backing away. Oh, no. I don't want to disturb you. I just wanted to make sure you had something sweet to eat tonight. Apple pie. My favorite. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. I said, stepping back into the doorway. Once you are all moved in, you come over and have coffee with me, okay? Lady said before turning and making her way back towards the street. Absolutely, I agreed with a wave. Lady's husband had been long dead before we moved into the neighborhood, and there were no children. As I now stood staring at the flashing blue Christmas lights, I could still smell the fresh apples and cinnamon from the pie Lady brought to our doorstep all those years ago. Despite the size and classic beauty of her home, It had never been updated, and that annoyed some of the younger residents. Their homes now sported iron privacy gates, new windows, light landscaping, outdoor chandeliers, and more. The lack of renovations they could get over on account of the home's cleanliness and order, but the fact that she had her god-awful Christmas decorations put up on the day after Halloween rubbed many the wrong way. First world problems for sure, but as much as I adored Lady, Even I started to hate being subjected to the dizzying lights so long before the holiday. Our second Christmas in the neighborhood, Mrs. Casterly shared with me that the decorations were her deceased husband's favorite part of the holiday, and they made her feel less isolated in the winter, the season of loneliness, when it was dark and we were all shut inside. Last fall, a new HOA board was elected, and leading the lawless legion was notorious neighborhood a-hole Raymond Drexler who decided that Lady Casterly's lights was the hill he wanted to die on. He won only because he rallied several of the neighbors into his follow-the-rules frenzy that gave him a false sense of control. If that wasn't enough, the meeting and winning election had been held in Lady's own living room. Everyone brought a dish. Everyone but Raymond. All the residents gathered in the sitting area in socked feet, as Lady Casterly didn't allow shoes in her pristine carpet. Again, Raymond refused. He was of the mind that removing his shoes and placing them neatly at the door with all the others was silly, 
when I pointed out the ritual with which the rest of us had conformed. Perhaps if his wife Jenna had been present, she could have moved him to compliance. But she was away on business as usual. With a likable and powerful wife like Jenna, a woman he could hardly control, I wasn't surprised that he filled the void with the pseudo-potency of the HOA title. Phil was still in the bathroom when I grabbed my cell and headed back towards the front door. Hello? An elegant voice answered on the third ring. Hi, Jenna, what are you doing, I asked. Jenna and I were neighborhood friends, and we spoke occasionally about the latest gossip on the neighborhood social media page, along with continuously planning the details of a progressive dinner for our street that we both knew would likely never happen. I'm out of town on business. I left early this morning, just settling into the hotel and preparing for a long day of meeting tomorrow. What's going on? She asked. Did you know someone moved into Lady Casterly's house? I asked. What? Jenna squeaked. The silk elegance of her voice submerged in surprise. I don't think so. Her Christmas decorations are up, I told her. My face drew closer to the window at the slightest shadow of a small human form passing across one of the front windows of the dead lady's home. There was someone there. Are you sure? She asked. I'm staring at the decorations right now. Hold on. Jenna said, the line clicking. As I waited, my eyes darted across all the windows of the home, searching for more movement. Moments later, Jenna's voice slid back on the line. Raymond said he doesn't know anything about it, but he's going to go by there. We had leftover pie from yesterday, so he's taking it over as a welcome gift. Now? I asked. I looked at my phone. 7.46 p.m. You know Raymond. He needs answers. Don't you want the latest? Jenna laughed. It's just so odd, I said. Picturing Lady Casterly's frail frame, hanging from one of the huge wooden beams of the same room where Raymond had been voted into his position only a few months earlier, right before the board informed Lady in writing and in person, in no uncertain terms that she was not to put out any of her decorations until the day after Thanksgiving under the threat of a hefty fine and a little neighborly ostracizing. To this day, being honest with myself about the situation, about the fact that I was a little relieved by their firm restriction, caused a lump of shame to form in the bottom of my throat, right above the guilt that tightened my chest. My own selfish perspective on the neighborhood aesthetic had become more important than the meaningful ritual of a neighbor and friend. Of course, I hadn't seen the body myself, but it didn't stop me from picturing the scene often in my daydreams, as well as my nightmares, as it had been described to me by other neighbors. I know it's odd, but we all knew someone was going to move in eventually. Listen, I have to get some work done. Once I talk back to Raymond, I'll call you tomorrow and give you the details, Jenna said. Okay, I think I see him pulling up now, I said, studying Raymond's slow-moving Mercedes as it pulled into the driveway of Lady Casterly's home. I'll talk to you tomorrow. What now, a new candy cane pop-up? Phil asked suddenly behind me, craning his neck to look out the window. No, Raymond is taking a pie to the new neighbors, if you must know, I said as I raised my hand to Raymond, who glanced over at our house briefly as he walked up the drive. He threw his hand up in a half-hearted greeting as he marched to the door, pie in hand. Let me guess, you're the puppet master of this visit, Bill whispered in my ear. Come on, movie marathon, and I grabbed a few of those mint cookies you like with milk. I'm coming, I spoke softly, as I watched Raymond knocking on the front door. 
I moved my face closer to the glass when the front door opened, a soft light pouring out to the porch before the door closed, gobbling him up into the house. I don't remember falling asleep, but the next morning I woke curled up on the couch with my feet pressed firmly into my husband's side, who apparently had slept upright. It was my phone. It was ringing. I noticed that it was 8 a.m. before I answered the call that read Jenna's name on the screen. Hello? I spoke before clearing my throat. Latanya, have you heard from Raymond? Jenna asked, worry fully woven into her voice. My eyes shot towards the front door, and I was immediately on my feet. No, I haven't. You haven't? Not since last night when I was on the phone with you. He was supposed to call me when he got home, but he never did. And I haven't been able to reach him this morning. My eyes became saucers when I spotted his car still parked in the driveway across the street. Even more stunning was the fact that they were gone. Every light, every inflatable, every wooden cutout that had adorned the yard just the night before was gone. Nothing but a light blanket of snow covering everything. His car is still in the driveway at Lady Casterly's house, I spoke. What? Jenna said. Can you please have Phil go over there and check on him? I swallowed hard. Maybe we should call the police or something. I will, but in the meantime, can you just go by there? Okay, okay, call the police and we'll go, I confirmed. My husband took only a few minutes to put on his jacket and load his gun. He didn't want me to go, but I wasn't letting him go alone, pregnant or not. When he wasn't looking, I plunged a large butcher knife into my jacket pocket for extra protection. I felt a little silly. There was a reasonable explanation for all this. There had to be, I thought as we crossed the street cautiously. The morning was, as it always was, after the first good snowfall of winter. Nothing stirred. The world was still, like living inside a snow globe. Once upon Lady Casterly's step, I was sure Phil's fist must have touched the door to knock, but it seemed to glide open on its own. We heard before we saw the awful creaking of Raymond's body doing a slight swing from the beam, his grayed eyes staring out the oversized front window, seeing nothing. Just as I had imagined Lady Casterly's, so many times. I muffled my sob with gloved hands as I stepped forward and stumbled. My husband caught me just before I could fall, and there, right next to the door, were Raymond's shoes. On the floor, near Raymond's body, there was a pie, apple, one slice missing, none found in his stomach. Now, everyone around here puts their Christmas lights up whenever they want. No one says a word. You've been listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Lady Castellie's Lights was written by Jean Nicole Rivers, an award-winning author of The Secret Keepers. You can find her at www.jeannicolerivers.com or on Instagram and Twitter at jeannicole19. You can also pick up her latest novel, Blackwater Tales, The Unwanted, from Amazon today. Narration was performed by Jess Carrier, with extra voices performed by Eric Carrier. Eric and Jess are co-hosts of the Prairieland Paranormal Podcast, where their fascination for all things weird and strange is translated into a podcast, where they share some of their own experiences and some of the interesting folklore, myths, legends, 
and haunted places prevalent through the Midwest, all while broadcasting from a creepy cornfield in central Illinois. Just search Prairieland Paranormal Podcast where you get your podcast, or head to www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. Alan Mortain was performed by David Martinez, who would like us to give a shout out for artist Chelsea, who has just dropped some new music on SoundCloud. Check it out at www.soundcloud.com forward slash Chelsea Sest. Link is in the description. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.